Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Help us, dear Lord, through the words of today's sermon to be your watchmen. Let us cry out the alarm to those who have placed even one toe on the highway to hell. Let us ring out with the good news of salvation in you. Let each of us individually pick up the keys you have given to your church and use them appropriately to bind and loose sin to your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is recorded by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. As for you, son of man, I have appointed you to be a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you are to warn them from me. When I say to a wicked man, wicked man, you shall surely die. If you do not speak to warn that wicked man against his way, that wicked man will die because of his guilt. But I will also hold you responsible for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he will die because of his guilt, but you will have saved your life. So you, son of man, say this to the house of Israel. This is what you are saying. Certainly our rebellions and transgressions weigh upon us, and because of them we are rotting away. How then can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Instead, I take pleasure if the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God had already allowed the Babylonians to haul Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego off. And about the time he reached the age where he would be able to start functioning at the temple as a priest, Ezekiel was hauled away. And God, using very similar words, called him to preach to Jerusalem. Basically, if you repent, the destruction won't come, but if you don't, it will. So Ezekiel would write those down and send them kind of through a mail system to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah was not alone in that message. But in today's text, the people of Jerusalem had ignored God's warning. They stood up against the Babylonians And Babylon destroyed the temple. No two stones were left standing on top of each other. They destroyed the city walls. They just destroyed Jerusalem. So God now calls Jeremiah to continue being a watchman, but to a different ministry now, to warn the people who are still alive, who've been deported, and to give them encouragement and hope. Well, you haven't been called to be a prophet and write down God's inspired word of God, but... You are a member of the priesthood of all believers. And so, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, God calls you to be a watchman. And with those, when God puts them in your path, such as neighbors who are hurting or need help, God calls you to be a watchman to them as well. And so, as we look at God's call to Ezekiel today, our sermon theme is, You are God's watchman. We'll apply that to you as a member of the priesthood of all believers. And as you've grown accustomed to, I'll be preaching on my Hebrew translation to bring out a few uh, of the nuances in the Hebrew words. We live in a time where people don't have to sit at the city gates and wait for the people of the next town over in case they come with an invading army to take our crops away. 
In those days, a lot of people like farmers and stuff, you'd ring the alarm and they'd come flying into the city and the gates would be shut. But if the watchman didn't ring the alarm, the gates would never be shut and the invading army could come right into town. He would be responsible for everybody's lives, right? Today, we don't have to do that. But, you know, you walk into any public building and you'll find fire alarms. We pull fire alarms when we smell or see fire to save lives. So we'll use that analogy today of pulling the fire alarm when you smell or look at smoke. Now, God calls Ezekiel and says, And you, son of Adam, or son of man, I have given you to be a watchman over the house of Israel. Therefore, when you hear a word from my mouth, then you are to warn them from me. And you hear the word from my mouth. You and I, are, again, are not called to be prophets, so God does not speak directly to us like he did Ezekiel. But if Ezekiel could see what you have today, he would think it's amazing because you have the printed word. You have it and you can read it. It's inspired. God promises he's talking to you. Notice that Ezekiel was called to listen to God's word and then share God's word. The only way you can be a watchman is if you listen to God's word and then share God's word. Of course, you're doing that now. I'm preaching to the choir. But you also do that at home in your daily devotions and meditations and that. And God promises to bless that. But you might say, who am I to share the word of God when my neighbor comes to me with hurt? Do you notice how this began? God several times calls Ezekiel son of man. Now, Jesus referred to himself as son of man, but when Jesus does that, he's emphasizing that he's God who became a man to serve human beings. Ezekiel is a human being with all the human limitations. He would know the hurt of seeing somebody not listen to the word of God, and he would know the joys of seeing somebody trust in that word of God. He would know his own struggles and could sympathize with his fellow human beings. And he says, I've given you as a watchman over the house of Israel. See, the nation of Israel doesn't exist right now at the time God's talking to Ezekiel. It's been wiped out by the Babylonians. But they're still a family. God calls you, look around you, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. God calls you to be their brothers and sisters. And again, by hearing the word and sharing the word. Now, when we hear and share the word, the more we hear and share it, the more we're able to be watchmen and pull the fire alarm. And one of the first things we do when we pull the fire alarm is when the word is being taught falsely. When we have people who persist in teaching falsely and we take the time to try to show them in the word of God that they're wrong, there are times they will refuse to listen. Then we invoke the fellowship doctrine. Fine. You're being stubborn so that others know your teaching is wrong. I will have nothing to do with you until you correct this false teaching. We do the same with their victims. Let's get into some of the false teachings that would come along in Jesus's day. They started at 150 roughly B.C. The Pharisees. The Pharisees looked down their nose at you. They were better than you. They were holier than you. When we sound the alarm, we don't want to be sounding it as if we are holier than thou, as we say in Christendom. 
But the Pharisee thought they were saved by doing their works. And that's a big one that we get right away. Whenever somebody is telling you that your salvation depends on your righteousness, you're doing the right works, there's a Pharisee for you. Start sounding the alarm. Pull the fire alarm. Do you know, in Jesus' day, they also had the Sadducees. And they sprang up at about 150 B.C. at the same time as the Pharisees did. The Sadducees... Uh, enjoyed the Greek empire, they enjoyed Greek culture, they loved Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, and they had come to reason that miracles couldn't happen, angels couldn't exist, and a resurrection, well, that would be miraculous, so that couldn't possibly happen. Don't kid yourself. We all know brothers and sisters in Christ who belong to churches that have decided that God's word is not inspired, they see it more like Aesop's fables, like the boy who cried wolf, just teaching you a cute story and a life lesson. When you hear somebody telling you the miracles of the Bible couldn't exist or wanting to change the words of Christ to fit modern conceptions of science and stuff, pull the alarm. Pull the alarm because they are sticking their feet on the highway to hell. Pull the alarm so that because if miracles don't exist, then God did not take up human flesh. And you and I would not be saved. You see, whenever there's something in the word of God being taught falsely, it will always unravel and mess up that teaching that you are saved by God taking on human flesh and being righteous in your place and removing your sin. So you are God's watchman. God calls you to listen to the word. By listening to the word, you will know what is in accord with and what contradicts that word. But what about when we go to warn a brother or sister in Christ or a neighbor? God tells Ezekiel in verse 8, When I speak to the wicked, wicked one, you will certainly die. And you in turn do not speak to warn a wicked person against his path. Then he, the wicked one, will die in his twisted sin, and I will earnestly seek his blood from your hand. Now there's two ways that a person dies. We confessed at the beginning of our worship service that we are dead in our sins. If a person embraces their sin and lets it have place over God's place in their heart, they will become unbelievers. They're already dead in God's eyes. They're zombies. And if they die physical death in that case, they will end up in hell. God warns Ezekiel, if I put somebody, if I send you to warn somebody and you don't, oh, this is just going to be, oh, they're going to reject me and they're going to be mean to me. No, God says, that'll start messing with your faith. Now, I've had people come and talk to me and they've said, Pastor, I had this chance to share the word of God and I felt awkward and I, I kind of muttered this. Uh, you tried to share the word of God. But here he's talking about somebody It's clearly in the path and we're remaining silent. That says, you then, like the person who doesn't pull the fire alarm but just runs out of the building to save their own neck, in like a, a school, and all the children get burned up, their blood is on your hands. That's pretty strong law. But he also says in verse 9, and you, when you warn a wicked person against his path, that is to turn completely away from it, and he does not turn from his path, then he himself will die in his twisted sin, Yet as for you, your soul is disengaged. I struggled how to translate that Hebrew word. God's no longer placing this burden upon you when you warn them and they don't listen. And that happens, doesn't it? 
We warn people. I've heard your pastor's sermons and he is teaching that God's word is not inspired. He's adding or taking things out of God's word. And they say, oh, this is the church my great grandfather built and my grandfather was baptized and, and my father was baptized. I can't leave. You Be patient with them. But God does say, when you come and you show them their sin and they don't listen to you, that's not your problem. You're released from that. And so what God calls us to do is, when you smell smoke, when you see fire, pull the fire line. You're God's watchman. You do that by listening to his word, but you are held accountable to those God presents when it's clear God is presenting this person to me to share his word and to be his watchman. Now, did you catch the different words for sin that are used in our text? You may have noticed at verse 8, the second half I translated, uh, the wicked will die in his twisted sin. And it's the same thing at the end of verse 9. And he does not turn from his path, then he himself will die in his twisted sin. The, the Hebrew word is when we take God's will and we twist it to fit the desires of our sinful nature. We can be pretty good at that, couldn't we? For example, the guy in Corinth who thinks it's great to have Christian freedom, so he's going around bragging about his Christian freedom that he's having sexual intercourse with his stepmother. He had taken God's will about his freedom in Christ and he twisted it to fit his sinful nature. Every one of us has been guilty of doing this. And when you go to warn a person who's taken God's will and twisted it so that it fits their will, you're going to find they can be pretty stubborn. How dare you? How dare you tell me this? Who are you? And that's when it's time to come in knowing God's word with the law and to show them, I am here as a brother or sister in Christ trying to help you. There's two more words used for sin and those come up in verse 10. That's when the Israelites say, truly our rebellion and sin are upon us. The one word is rebellion. You've heard me say in the past, that each commandment flows into the next. If you break any commandment, you break the first. Thou shalt have no other gods. And there are many commandments, if in ways we can break them, in which we break all the other commandments, like dominoes toppling over. When we sin against God in this way, we're rebelling against God. That's pretty scary. I know this is your will. How dare you expect this of me? No, God, you're wrong. That's somebody who's standing on the highway to hell because they are telling God what's right and wrong. And you are who God has sent to warn them so that they get off that highway to hell. The last word used for sin, which I just translated as sin, is one of an archery. When, when a person's shooting a bow and arrow at a target and they want to hit that bullseye, but they miss it. Isn't that everyday life for you and I as children of God who have a sinful nature in this life? We want to do the right thing. We want to live according to the will of God. We struggle against our sinful nature to do it, but he keeps pushing us and we just miss the bullseye. It's very important for us to understand the distinction between sins and the sins our brother or sister in Christ may be in so that we can properly apply the word of God. This is the way they're rebelling and so we know how to come about them. How hard to come at them with the law and how quickly to come at them with the good news of salvation in Christ. 
One of the ways that you serve as God's watchman is not just knowing the word and, and, and looking out for false teaching, but warning your brother and sister in Christ, your neighbor, against their perversions. That's twisting God's will. Their rebellions and their sins against God. This is when you say, here's the fire. And you put out an electrical fire differently than the way you put out fire that's, that's burning up wood, right? You pour water on, on a fire that's burning up wood, but if you pour water on a fire that's burning up a chemical like gasoline, you may spread it. So understand the distinction of sin so that we're not like Pharisees coming across as holier than thou. And see the privilege. Again, God has privileged you to save lives. God has a very strong message for the people of Israel. He says, Now you, son of Adam, say to the house of Israel, You have spoken the following when you say, Truly our rebellion and sin are upon us. We ourselves rot away in them, and so how can we live? It seems to me, I can't say this with 100% certainty, the people of Israel are looking at the destruction of Jerusalem. And like when God comes to Cain after Cain has killed his brother Abel, and Cain says, my punishment's too severe. It seems to me that's what they're saying. They say that our, our rebellions, they admit that it's their rebellion and our sins are upon us. How can we live? How can we possibly go on? We have no hope. So God says in verse 11, say to them a declaration from the master Lord. God uses two names there. The first name is the name that he is the one who owns all of creation. He's the master of it because he created it. He made it. And the second name, Lord, that's the name by which he revealed himself to Moses. That name that represents that God's absolutely faithful to, for example, to his covenants. What God here is saying is, I make a promise to you right here, a very solemn promise, and I'm the master of all creation, so nothing's going to stop me from breaking it. And here's the promise. I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather I delight in the turning of a wicked person away from his path so that he has life. In the Reformation, John Calvin rode in on Luther's coattails. And the Bible clearly teaches, uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, that if you're saved, God predestined you to go to heaven. He made sure you were born at the right place, at the right time, and everything. But Calvin, Calvin used logic. He said, then it must be a two-sided coin. If you go to hell, then God must have predestined you to hell. Today is one of many Bible passages that tells people like John Calvin, no. You're wrong because God says it very clearly. I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather I delight in the turning of a wicked person away from his path so that he has life. God privileges you to get to be the one to share the word with them. And when they repent of their sin, do not hesitate to pour the blood of the lamb upon them and let them know that they are alive in Christ. Release the burden of their sin and do not kid yourself. The angels in heaven are rejoicing and so is God. And so God says, turn away, turn away from you guys' path, O evil ones. Now, O house of Israel, for what reason will you die? We can say the same thing to our unbelieving neighbor. If you have a fire, lots of times you need to know where the escape route is. As you pull the fire alarm, so you start telling people, go that way. You can tell your neighbor, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then you warn them of the danger of their sin so that they can see that they need the Savior that you just told them about. And then you get the privilege of saying, now why would you need to burn in hell? God doesn't want you there. God has rescued you. You can reject it. Or you can rejoice in it. What a wonderful privilege it is to get to pour the blood of Christ on unbelievers when they become believers. God privileges us with that as priests, as his watchmen. And he also privileges us when people are caught in a sin and they finally say, my, my guilt is overwhelming. What should I do? Let me remove your guilt. Let me pour the blood of Christ on it. It'll wash your sins away and it will give you life. You and I weren't called to be inspired prophets like Ezekiel, but God has made you a priest and you are a watchman. You listen to his word. You're held accountable, so you're ready to pull that fire alarm. You warn against perversions, rebellions, and sins against God's will. And just as God rejoices in people coming to faith, so you also rejoice in the turning from death to life. You can only do that because you are alive in Christ. Amen. The things that you learned, received, and heard and saw in me, keep doing these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and drink in the sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and to the whole Christian church on earth. Strengthen us through this heavenly food. Increase our trust in Christ and our love for one another. 
Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember in mercy those who are sick and suffering and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Move us to pray for those in need and to help them with deeds of kindness. Gracious Lord, as the COVID virus continues to rage across America and all kinds of politics are keeping us from even understanding the medical truths about it, we pray that you protect our flock, that you help us to be your watchmen in the world around us to show your loving hand. As California is burning up with wildfires and in portions of Wyoming and parts of Colorado and the smoke is in the air and it hurts people who have respiratory problems and those suffering from COVID, we pray, Lord, that you send the rains that will put those fires out. But we also ask, Lord, that you let us see your hand at work and the blessings you give through those, but also that you help us to warn those to whom your hand is an admonishment to trust in you. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.